Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. You have probably seen her on Oprah, Larry King, The Today Show, The Steve Harvey Show, just to name a few. She is the best-selling author of many books. The public originally discovered her in the movie The Secret from 2007. Lisa Nichols, she is one of the world's most requested motivational speakers, as well as media personality and corporate CEO, whose global platform has reached and served nearly 30 million people. From a struggling single mom on public assistance to a millionaire entrepreneur, Lisa's courage and determination has inspired fans worldwide and helped countless audiences break through to discover their own untapped talents and infinite potential. She's the founder and CEO of Motivating the Masses, one of the country's only publicly traded personal and business development training companies. I am so excited to introduce you to Lisa Nichols. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Elle, for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. So for those of our audience who don't know your story, you have a really inspiring, you know, kind of classic rags to riches. Uh, And for our audiences, I'd love you to, because you went from a broke life in South Central LA to, you know, dancing all over the world in beautiful places like Jamaica and the Caribbean and, (laughs) you know, building a multi-million dollar brand and affecting uh, over 40 million people. So if you could just share with us, you know, the where you came from. Yeah. You know, I when you said from rags, rags to riches, I, I kind of chuckled because um, I, I guess I was a version of both. I, I, I am. Um, and, and I didn't even think about it like that. You know, it, it's also masqueraded as, oh, this is life. So, you know, I came from a space where um my family is very strong in connection, very strong in spirituality, very strong in, in relationship and family. Um, but we, our struggle, our norm, we, we thought it was the norm, but I learned later our, our norm was a place of scarcity and lack. And, um, and as, a, a, as a result, as an adult, I didn't really know how to go and get what I wanted initially. Um, I found myself in the government assistance line needing to get on government's assistance just to have my son. Um, I found myself at the ATM when I ran out of Pampers for him to go and going to get $20 to get more Pampers. I found myself in front of a, a, a sign on the ATM saying insufficient funds, $11.42. I found myself sitting with my son wrapped in a towel for two days because he had no Pampers. I found myself uh, in a relationship with someone who soon after my son was born went to prison, unbeknownst to me that he was doing anything criminal. And um, I found myself broke and broken. And everyone has their story. Uh, everyone has their $11.42 moment, or they have their moment where they feel feel uh, broke, broken, scared, confused. And I just felt like that was my, that was my residence for so long. On the outside, L, I had a smile. I was the go-to girl. You know, you give a task to Lisa, she's going to get it done. I was the cheerleader for everybody, um, but I hadn't, and I kept hearing I had so much potential, and potential to me was a word that said, you're really not doing too good now, but you could be great one day, you know, and so I, I, I wasn't, I had no form of gifted anything. I, my highest grade in school for 12 years, all 12 years, was a C plus. Um, the last time I took an English class, I got a fail. And my English teacher said, Lisa, you have to be the weakest writer I've ever met in my entire life. And my speech teacher, I got a D minus the last time I took speech. And he said, quote unquote, Miss Nichols, I recommend you get a desk job and never speak in public, never try to speak in public. And so and then I find out I found out in my mid 20s that the reason why I struggled in school for 12 years is because I'm functionally dyslexic. And no problem, I don't complain about that. It allows me to be a thorough learner and a thorough teacher. But at the time, I didn't know it. So we all have our story. We all have our someone didn't believe in us. We all have our, that was mine. And for a very long time, L, I lived in, in I lived in two, I, meaning I made a, I made a point 
to be the person that people said I was, meaning I limited myself. I avoided writing. I avoided speaking. Why? Because I'm the weakest writer my English teacher ever met in her entire life. I avoided speaking because my speech teacher said, Miss Nichols, I recommend you get a desk job and don't speak in public. And so for probably about 18 years, I danced around my heart and my passion because someone of authority, I put that in air quotes right now, someone of authority told me I wasn't good at it. And so, um, and I say the, the, the biggest, um, the biggest crime I did to myself early on in my twenties was I made someone else's perception of who I was. I made that my truth. I got fired from five different jobs in my twenties before I discovered me. I love to interject there because this whole um, intro here highlights something that I'd like you to get into a little bit about shame, carrying shame, uh, uh, being a performer, maybe people pleaser, hiding because, you know, I've had this in my life and experience with others or myself where even if you're hiding something that there's really kind of no reason that most people would think it'd be it's still something you're hiding shame about. Do you know what I'm talking about there? Because yes. there are some people that would tell a shame story and 90% of the world would go, oh, I totally get why you're ashamed of that, right? No one should be ashamed. I'm just saying, you know, there's there's perception. And then there's there's stuff where people are like, why are you even ashamed of that? And the bottom line is it doesn't matter what it is. The point is you're ashamed you're hiding. There's a projection. I'd love you to get into that and how that affected your relationships because it's such a key thing. Wow. Shame, right? <laughs> um, you know, when, when, when one part of you is being suppressed, there's a ripple effect to every other part of your truth. And um, I know this personally, when you talk about shame and holding back, when you talk about, you know, and I always call it there, if there's something in the shadow, then everything can't be in your light. And it doesn't mean to share everything. It just means how you hold that truth inside your being. Are, is, the, is the truth holding you hostage? Um, because shame is a form of holding you hostage. I, and, and I can I say that because I can speak to me. Um, and I felt like a part of me was held hostage to shame. So I couldn't fully play out because there's a part of me when my son's father went to prison, I was so ashamed. I mean, I was so riddled with shame. I, I, I made it seem as if I did something wrong and I didn't do anything wrong. So when you're in shame that there's a part of self mutilation, self torture that you're giving. And then I was also um, ashamed of the fact that I, I, I'm dyslexic. For a long time, I was ashamed of that. Now, I think it makes me even greater as a teacher because I teach so thoroughly. But for years, I was ashamed. So when you live in this space of shame, what you're saying is my imperfection is wrong. When in fact, perfection is an unattainable, it's an unattainable GPS. It's an unattainable address. Imperfection is actually the way we dance together. And it's in your imperfection that you're perfect to serve other people. I'll say that again. It's in your imperfection that you're perfect to serve other people. All we have to do is become whole and complete with our imperfection. And I say, listen, it's the most imperfect part to me that will help me serve you because I'll share you my mistake that I made. And hopefully we can both learn and grow from that. And so uh, shame is a hostage keeper. And when you and when you address shame and you minimize shame and you disempower shame, all of a sudden you liberate truth. You liberate light. You liberate those who are listening or following you so that they allow their imperfection to be okay as well. When you can shine a light on the things that you were once ashamed of, when you can tell your truth. Oh, let me just say this. When you can tell your messy truth. Right. <laughs> and I'm not saying tell the truth you're not ready to tell yet, but tell your messy truth. And and because it's not it's not in your ability to always stand that we are most inspired. It's in your ability to get back up when you've been knocked down that we are most inspired. And most of the time, it's the things that knocked us down that we're ashamed of. No, tell me, do not hide the diamonds for us. Show me your get back up. You might not spring up, L, but you. But even if you stagger up, you got up. That's right. I tell people some of my greatest lessons took me months to get up from. Some took me years to get up from. And when I finally could stand and sometimes my back was still bent, then I can even think about sharing it. 
And so don't think every experience needs to be shared or victorious immediately. But you do have a right to hold everything you've ever experienced in one hand. And in the other hand, you still get to hold possibility, greatness, peace of mind, joy, abundance. You still get to hold both. Right. And I like your, and I want to highlight for the audience if they want a specific, because you said, you know, it's not that you have to tell everyone everything. So look, you know, uh, maybe you, uh, uh, vomited at a frat party in college. If you're not ashamed about it, okay, then whatever the story might come up or you might have no shame and tell it one day at a party because it's like whatever, but it's not something you're ashamed about. It's not something you're hiding. It's the things that you're ashamed about. Um, and, and the interesting thing is when you don't accept, like you said, and love your diamonds and those messy parts of you and can be no shame about it, no one else is going to either. And you're likely going to run into people that are also hiding because we attract that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm so glad you highlighted the importance of walking through this and arriving at another, you know, at a positive ending. And, 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 and I love that you say that, L, because no shame doesn't ne- necessarily mean announce it from the stage. It doesn't right. mean get on Facebook Live and do a video about it. It doesn't mean that. It just means no part of you is held hostage to a previous experience. The number one reason why people don't fully soar is because of what they're holding themselves hostage to in their head. They're they're making their past, their future equal their past, and their past equal their future. It's not even a discussion. It's an internal conversation that's limiting your ability to soar. So not being ashamed of it does not mean you post it. It doesn't mean you, you know, you, you, you talk about it necessarily. It right. means it means you, you have nothing to hide, nothing to protect, nothing to prove and nothing to defend that you wake up each morning and you say and you know, I am enough with all of my circumstances today deserves today belongs to me and I deserve abundance today with all of my past. And so shame yeah. is not about talking about it with everyone Shame is about being comfortable with the journey that you've been on. I love that clarity on that. And I want to roll into, I want to get to some other really juicy topics. But since we're on the subject of shame, and this is a podcast where we do a lot of mind-body and a lot of health stuff, I don't expect you to go into the details of how you got there, like with diet and exercise, but you have made a very huge transformation in your body over the years. You've expressed it and been open about it. And I really love the way you talk about the body shame you have. And listen, I had it. I wrote a whole book about it because I had hypothyroidism and I uncontrollably gained weight and had to deal with that. And it was, uh, I hid from the world. I was inside all the time. I didn't, I put baseball caps on. I didn't want anyone to look at me. You know, I mean, it's, I want to cry for my old self then in that shame, but it's, it, it was, t- it was really tough until of course I got through it. Yours is a really inspiring story. I wonder if you could, could share your body image shame with us or previous shame. <laughs> well, you- um, the one of the things to remember is that my my body shame was I oddly enough, it was similar to yours, similar but different. Um, I came from a very athletic background and then I went into some um, medical challenges and health challenges. Um, you talked about hyperthyroids. I had the same evidence of that without the diagnosis and they couldn't find what the diagnosis was. And um, so I just kept gaining and kept gaining, kept gaining. And my outside was incongruent. And someone will know exactly what I'm talking about here. If you do, please comment that you know exactly what I'm talking about. My outside of me did not match who I knew myself to be. (laughs) You know, you may have felt. Yep. I'm into that. It was. and, and, And the exact opposite of your experience, Elle, this was happening to me while I was in the public's eye. So here's this body that I can't seem to control. It's morphing into an unauthorized piece of experience for me. And uh, there are illegal mergers happening everywhere in my weight. And I could, and I couldn't source the reason. And meanwhile, at the very same time, I'm writing chicken soup for the soul book. Number one, then I write chicken soup for the soul book. Number two, then I'm in the secret and oh my God, 162 different languages in 12 months. And then I'm on Oprah, then I'm on Larry King. And so I'm inside of this very private health hell in this very public life. And I can't talk about it because I don't even know what to say. And I don't have the solution. And I don't know when I will have the solution. And all of these things are horrific. And I have 
and just to, without too much detail, I'm inside. I have six blood transfusions in three three years. I have six blood transfusions because I have a cycle that lasts 28 days. It's all this horrific stuff is happening in the background. And um, and just to, to sum it all up, I finally surrendered my ego. I surrendered my ego, L. And I went to the doctors and I said, help me. And I went through a series of different things, medical, nutritional, um, emotional, and um, the things that I could not shift. I stopped I stopped letting my ego drive me. I stopped saying that there was one way to get to a result. um, What I realized was that there are multiple ways to get to a result and I needed help. And, um, and that's what I did. I surrendered. I surrendered. And I said, I didn't want to admit that something was really, really wrong. I didn't want to. And this is to anyone who's listening to my voice where you honestly could say I've tried everything and, and it could be a bit of ego that's saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to seek counsel. I don't want to say I, um, it's out of control. I, and I don't have a relationship with food where I'm a foodie. I'm not a foodie. I'm a feedie. I, I, I didn't know that medically my body was so out of whack. I had severe sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. Um, I traveled with a uh, with the sleep machine, and um, it was just horrible. And it was my private health hell. And I wouldn't talk to anyone. And then, L, when I went and got medical help, and I went and got medical intervention, and I lost the first fifty pounds. I released the first fifty pounds, and then I was able to sleep. I was able to have energy. I was able. And then I went into the gym, and then I lost another forty pounds, and I lost almost 89 pounds, I lost 90 pounds, all of a sudden, my most personal, private health hell became the most talked about thing in me (laughs) and my world. And let me tell you what I had to do then. It's funny you should talk about shame because you don't even know this, but everyone's talking about how good I look. Everyone's talking about how good I look, Elle, and I'm having such shame in the conversation that they're having about my body. Because what happened was when I released the 90 pounds, the old Lisa, the athlete for 13 years, the the competitive swimmer, the track runner, her body came back, my tones, my arms, my, you see my arms. I mean, everyone talks about Lisa Nichols gun. Yeah, right. You're killing it. But but, but what happened was I didn't do a lot of training to get there. I just released the weight and the muscle was under the fat already, already formed. And so everyone's talking about this intense thing that I did. And they were all assuming that I'd only did it one way in the gym. And no one knew that I'd gone to the doctor and the doctor said, hold on, we need to do some things before you get to the gym. So all of a sudden for 18 to 20 months, I I won't comment on my weight because I felt guilty that I went and got help and I didn't deserve to talk about it. And I felt like I was misleading people when I wasn't. I just had a private health hell and I wasn't ready to make my private life public. And it was one of those things that you're not, you have to be ready to share when you're ready to share. Thank you for saying that. It's like you said earlier, it's not about announcing at the moment you discover it and you're not ashamed. It's not about, right? It's, it's get comfortable with that, sit with that, learn about it. And if you're ready and you feel like there's a need to, then great. I love that you shared that. I didn't know that. And you didn't know. Yeah, no one knew. <laughs> it's so crazy that you should talk about shame and then talk about my health. It's not crazy though, is it? Based on what we believe. Right, right, right. It's not crazy. <laughs> But let me tell you what I used to say. Everyone has always called me like a superwoman. And I would privately say, Al, if I am a superwoman, then my health is my kryptonite. Mm. I used to privately, I've ne- and, and by the way, you're the only host that I've ever said that to. And I can, I can tell you that now because now my health is my, a part of my superpower. And isn't it, you know, I want to just, I know you will understand this because if you suffered from what I did, and at least at the very least, the commonality is this, to not have control at all over what is happening to your body and to not go to, I look, I went to hundreds of doctors and I still didn't figure it out. And I had to figure it out and wrote a book. So there you go. I mean, there's the contribution, but, but at the end of the day, that was so scary and hard and it is such a private hell because you don't know what to say to people. You know, you don't know what to say about it. You're still confused. And it is it, it is a private hell and it's a private shame. And oh I'm so glad you figured it out. And also, too, I, w- I wonder if sometimes like I had had issues, you know, 
up and down throughout life with body image. And I'm wondering if knowing about the law of attraction and the kind of fear and what you put into it, if I didn't myself kind of get down the road to where it got so bad that the universe is like, well, guess what? Your body's not going to work. And I had to crawl out of it and, and you as well. And it's so great that you can inspire others. And I, you know, I, I know I've been able to help others. It's, it's the best gift, right? Isn't it? Because when you go through any private hell, whether it was you on food stamps back in the day or then cut to a new problem later on in life, you're, I bet yeah. people have been so inspired by that trouble of yours. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the wounded healer's journey. You know, right. it's saying, it's saying, man, this was a pain point for me, but I've climbed through it. I've crawled through it. I've run through it. And now I want to reach back and grab you. No, you don't have to be there. I'm holding the door open, sister. I'm holding the sliding door open, brother. And I want to pull you through. It is like, it's what we all want. We are all community. We are all tribe. We're all village and nothing feels better. It's why whenever you see something tragic happen, the part that brings us to tears are when you're seeing ordinary people choosing to lift each other up. Absolutely. I, and, and, and on that note, you know, you mentioned in, in your book, uh, you mentioned uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer and the Never Crowded Along the Extra Mile, which is probably my favorite audiobook of his ever. I suggest everybody listen to it. Can you touch on that uh, concept about Never Crowded Along the Extra Mile? Because I love the way you talk about it. Absolutely. When you look at, and I call them our brothers and our sisters, because we're all, we don't live independent of each other. We live interdependent of one another. And when you allow someone to borrow your faith in a moment, borrow your strength. I mean, when you become the lifeline in the moment, something that may not have cost you much at all, but it was everything to them. It was priceless. When you allow your light to shine so brightly that it illuminates someone else's darkest moment. When you do that and you share your light, you share your gift, you share that moment of possibility and allow someone to borrow your faith, the lifeline you throw, the energy line you throw, the light line, not lifeline, the light line that you throw, that is an endless give. It's an endless give. And nothing makes my heart shine brighter, feel warmer than hearing someone who I helped 10 years ago and now see what they're doing. And, and the hundreds of people that they touch, I now can go, oh, wow, maybe I, I, I in some way touch those people, not from a, a place of bragging or a place of grandizing, but from a place of service. We all want to know our lives here matter. We want that dash. You want that dash between your birthday and your transition day. You want that dash to mean something. And the thing that will mean the most is when you have that dash lift someone up, love someone up, light someone up, cheer someone up. When you have that dash, um, really contribute to humanity and the things that don't cost. It's not so much how much money you donated or the, the, the title on your business card or the uh, definitely not the size of your house or the, you know, the extravagantness of your car. None of that. But it's in those moments, did you sit and be present to someone? When you do that, that extra mile goes so far. It's endless. There's no GPS that can really track it because it keeps giving. It keeps giving. It's what changes your life to a legacy. See, I'm in the season now, L, where I don't want to just live for my life. I want to live for my legacy and not in a, again, not in a grandizing way, but to say, what can I contribute while I'm here that will so outlive my life? And they might not even remember my name, but somehow it's going to contribute to the generations to come because I did. I don't quite know what that is. I'm still discovering. I love that I get up early and go to bed late, figuring that out, you know? And so, um, that 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 extra mile is so delicious and and something happens something happens to the vibration of humanity when you give someone something that they need air oxygen faith light and you give it with no quid pro quo you give it with no intent of return something happens to just the biological makeup of both of you you feel good inside service and something is shifted in them i've heard people say i give differently i forgive differently and I love more expansively because I've crossed your path, Lisa. Nothing, no, no, no matter how much money I make or how far I go, how big my, nothing feels better. Nothing means more, does it? Yeah. Man, man, L, nothing, nothing means more than saying someone has shifted their vibration because of a contribution that you you may have made. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I love it. And you know, let's get into. 
get into the like kick-ass part of life, pathfinding, blazing new trails. But I like how you discuss how sometimes this can create some turbulence. And I, I really find it to be an interesting conversation about how you mentioned about how it was uh, uh, being an African-American woman in a powerful position and the kind of things around you that you noticed as you moved through that space. I, I think that that's just something that can inspire a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, growth, you know, the term growing pains didn't come from, you know, <laughs> didn't come from nowhere. It, it has an origin, <laughs> you know, um, and the reality is when you're growing, um, th- there are a couple of things that you have to do. Num- number one, when you made the decision to grow, grow your mind first, because your your lifestyle, your finances, your 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 health, everything will follow your mind. So if you want to grow, grow your mind first. Hence is why you and I read. It's why we study. It's why we learn from each other. And when you're growing your mind, you're going to grow into something and you're going to outgrow some things <laughs> and uh, some things and some people. And as an African-American woman, and, and, and I say this with huge endearment, I had to I had to embrace. I don't live under the label of an African-American woman. I am a human being. I'm a child of God. I am. A, I'm a woman, but I live in a body bag called a woman. And, and a woman of color. And so while my culture and my gender don't define me, I'm quite aware that they're what's presented to the world when they get me. And I want to be really clear about that. People say, how did you how did you build a multimillion dollar business as a black woman? I said, I didn't build it as a black woman. I built it as a kick ass businesswoman who happened to be black. <laughs> That's right. Who just happened to be African-American. Right. Um, and so but as you're doing that, and as I, I, I've done that, I, I realized that I had to, one, I had to realize what cultural norms I was living inside of that didn't fit me. What cultural norms? So the conversation of struggle, and, and it's not just a, a black thing. It's not just the African-American thing. Every time I talk to other people, I'm like, oh, that's in my culture too. But I know that I got it. Um, I know that it was something that I, I saw distinctively in African-American women. And so I had to be willing to not... Um, I had to be willing to let go of any predefined notion of who I should be because I was a woman or who I should be because I was African-American or who I should be because I was raised in a Christian church. I had to let all of that go. Can I tell you that created disruption? I had to yeah, be, get into that disruption. What, what the hell happened around you? <laughs> right. Well, well, first of all, I went into environments where people talked about money and they talked very comfortably about money. Those environments happen to be heavily, like 99.95% populated with white men um, because they financed money and that conversation and that particular crowd um, of white men was the, was the topic. And they were very comfortable with that. I was very uncomfortable with that. So I wanted to get comfortable. So number one, I disrupted that environment because I was not going anywhere. It's not that they didn't want me at the table. They just we're trying to figure out why I was at the table and what do I, what did I want from the table? And, and, and as I stayed and I found my contribution, um, I became a part of that. So I was always sort of like a visitor to that circle until I was on the outside. Yeah. On the outside. And it's almost like you get a group of men and you're talking and then a woman walks up, everyone shifts the conversation. Right. (laughs) And so, so add to that, a woman walks up and she's an African-American woman. You gotta, you know, there's certain things you get to say and certain things you don't get to say. And so I had to stay in that circle until they saw that I was going to be the paint on the wall. She's not going anywhere. Right. So that I disrupted that environment. And I had to. And oh, by the way, Elle, I had to keep telling myself that I deserved to be in that circle because every time I went to approach that circle over a cor- over the course of 13 years, every time I visit that circle, I, my knees knocked and my teeth mm-hmm. would clink and I would feel judged and I would feel inadequate. And I would feel afraid and I would feel small and I would still keep going into the circle until the fear dissipated. The other side was I was considered abandoning my culture, abandoning my community. You're over there with the white people. You like mm-hmm. and, and, and no one said it in a, in a hate energy. They just said it in the sense of why aren't you over here motivating us? I said, I'm motivating everyone, but I want to learn what I don't know. And I already know how to be soulful. I know how to be, I know how to, I want to understand the logic of learning. I want to understand how to monetize it. I, I want to understand multiple revenue streams. I want to understand automated revenue. I want to understand expand and reach. I want to understand scalability. I want to understand the things that will help me bring more back to you. And so there was resistance when I was in the secret. 
Um, I was ostracized because the secret didn't quote enough scripture, um, according to some of the Christian churches. And so the place that I built my brand in for the first five years, for the next three years, I was ostracized. I couldn't get one church to invite me to come because I was over here in this other group playing with these other people talking about this universal law thing that didn't say first Corinthians chapter four, verse six. And so I was willing to stand it out though, because I knew that who I was, was true. I didn't question who I was or my intention. And so I just had to ride it out until it literally took 10 years for the churches to begin to invite me back. And then they forgot that I was the woman in the secret because they just saw Lisa Nichols now out on, on YouTube. They just saw Lisa Nichols in the world and they would give me all these accolades only to find out, oh, she's that same woman that we kicked out 10 years ago. Right. And that's usually how that works out <laughs> in those, in those, in those scenarios. Right. That is, that is so inspiring at the uh, time that you were in these circles and, you know, you had to be like, I got, I'm, I got to keep coming to that table. I don't care that I feel uncomfortable, like whatever I'm doing this. Um, you know, gosh, that's, that's a, that's so not letting other people's opinions change how you think about yourself. So I'd like you to, if you can, maybe highlight that notion. Absolutely. Well, I'll start this part with a quote my grandmother says. She starts every sentence with baby. So I'm going to start it the way my grandmother would start. <laughs> she says, baby, other people's perception of you ain't none of your business. That's right. That's so great. <laughs> right, 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 right. She says, that's why it's in their head. <laughs> so so when I tell you, L, I have quoted that so much, even though we care how people think about us. Um I literally, uh, I had to stand in my knowing. So every day, like I create little uh, regimens and rituals for myself to just kind of keep my game face on, keep my game head together. So every day I would get in the mirror and every day I would complete three sentences. And if you have a pen and paper, you might want to write this down because I got to tell you, it was a game changer for me. But every day before I went out into those circles, L, I literally would do this. And sometimes I do it in the morning and in the evening um, because I I needed to because <laughs> my knees were knocking. So every day I would complete three different sentences with seven different endings. And the first one was, Lisa, I'm proud that you I found seven different things to celebrate myself for seven different things that I already did, because I believe, L, that we're always looking at our to do list. And how long and how long our to do list is. But I'm a true believer that my to do list is nothing compared to my to done list. Mm, I agree. Remembering all of the wonderful accomplishments. Yeah, exactly. Because we forget that. And when I say wonderful accomplishments, I mean, the first time I did this sentence in this in the uh, first time I did this sentence in the mirror, I went back to second grade. Lisa, I'm proud that you were the lead star. You were Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz in second grade. (laughs) That's right. And so go all the way back. So seven different things to celebrate myself for every day. And I would do this, by the way, I do these three sentences in the mirror, in the bathroom, right after I brush my teeth, because you don't even consider going out to your day without brushing your teeth. You've made that a regimen. You won't think of it. You don't forget and skip a week of brushing your teeth. You don't think about that. So if I can brush my teeth every day, I can pour into my soul every day. Love it. So I would brush my teeth and I do these sentences. So the first sentence is, Lisa, I forgive you for. The second sentence was a little harder. Uh, It always calls emotion to this day. I've been doing this now for 20 years. I started when my son was three years old. My son will be 24. So probably 21 years. Uh, 21 years now I've been doing it. And um, the second sentence, put a little knot in your throat, but keep going through seven different things that I can forgive myself Mm. for. Yeah. So it was pretty intense. So that way I'm not holding myself hostage to any shame, blame, guilt, regret, or anger. So every day I cut the shackles every day. Mm -hmm. I cut the shackles every day. And if you can't do seven, do three. I always say do seven, ideally do three mandatory. So every day, Lisa, I forgive you for Lisa, I forgive you for dropping your integrity bar in that relationship because you were lonely. I just call it what it is. Right. Call I don't it out. Lie about no it. bullshit. I don't lie about it. Because if I'm if I'm honest with myself in the morning before I meet the world, then it's much easier for me to be honest with the world. I love that. And and the third thing, the third sentence is, Lisa, 
I commit to you that because I, I love showing up for my community. I love showing up for my family and I'm always committing to them, but I forget to make commitments to me. And so I, Lisa, I commit to you that today I will say yes. Only when I want to say yes to requests and I will say no when I need to say no. Lisa, I commit to you that today we will take five deep breaths, five counts in, five counts out, five times today, at least. Like just little things that, that I want to do. So every day I would do these three things before I would go into these meetings that scared me, before I go into these meetings where here I am, this, this woman, single mom, whose son's father's in prison, who's on government assistance or who had been on government assistance because I got off after like three years. And here I am now in meetings with Jack Canfield and I'm in meetings with Les Brown. I'm in meetings with you know Bob Proctor. I'm in meetings with Reverend Michael Beckwith. I'm in meetings with Oprah. I'm in meetings with Larry King. Every day I had to get up and go, Lisa, I'm proud of you. Lisa, I forgive you for it. Lisa, I commit to you that just so I can go out and stand stand tall and show up fully. I love that. And obviously it worked and paid off in so many ways, especially with the way you've affected others. You know, uh, it's. I, I want to get into the what you talk about, you bring about, and I want to just, I actually had a, you know, we, we see this all, when you're thinking on this level and you're a little bit aware of some of these Words, in, words having power, you sometimes see in others. I was mentoring a writer recently who was doing a new writing endeavor, uh, a little short film comedy bit, and they had written other scripts and things like that, but they hadn't done this. And they were very frustrated and they kept saying things like, you know, my issue is that, and you know, my problem is that I always, or I'm frustrated because, and, and I just said, you know, how about it's not a problem or an issue, but instead it's just merely a new exciting writing challenge that's only going to make you a better, more well-rounded writer, right? And and what about the new synapses that are going to fire off in your brain and in, in the endeavor of tackling this writing project? Like, why aren't we tipping the scales to what could be and seeing the world as a wellspring of possibility, as you put it? And I'd love you to get into what you talk about, you bring about. Absolutely. So I always say, that the life you're, you're experiencing now is the physical manifestation of the conversation going on in your head. I'll say that again. The life you're living now, the balancing your bank account, the relationship status, your health and your wellness, the, the, the interaction between you and people, it's, a, it's, a, it's the physical result, physical manifestation of the conversation going on in your head and the words that are coming across your, lip, your lips. There's this... Um, there's this quote, you know, um, that talks about how um, what falls off your tongue shows up in your life, you know. So, mm. so be be a be a steward of what you speak because you can speak life into your life or you can speak death into your life. Expanding that a bit, you speak joy and prosperity and peace of mind into your life. You also can speak chaos, worry, and stress into your life. When you claim I'm so stressed out, things have to show up to make that true. And and I'm very mindful of what I say. And wasn't always. And sometimes I'll slip and say something. I go, wait, hold on, wait, let me backtrack it. And I don't want to live, I don't want to live in a false world where if I feel overwhelmed, I have to acknowledge that I'm feeling overwhelmed. Instead of walking around saying, I'm so overwhelmed, I go, in this moment, I feel overwhelmed. How do I welcome a new feeling? Because I want to be honest and I want to be truthful, but I also want to know that you that we speak life, we speak truth, we speak the experience that's on its way. Your life has to show up to make what you're thinking true so you don't think you're crazy. Think about it. It's, just, it's a very simple. Your life is going to show up to validate your thoughts. If someone is, you say, oh my God, she's so messy. Oh my God, she's so, you know, you won't even see the nice things this person does. You'll only see the messy because you want to... You want your conversation to be correct. We don't look to prove ourselves wrong. We look to prove ourselves right. Yeah, and that often leads to disappointment in, in internally because it, it when you're, you know, in in being right often and and trying to prove someone wrong, the contention and the tension and the the bad vibes that are going on there sometimes, like you know, it's just or you know, uh, Byron Katie, like defense is the first act of war, right? You know, those kind of things. Um, Right. I, 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 in the talk about you bring about, you know, when we talk about law of attraction and and we get into visualization. I'd love you to touch a little bit on this in terms of how the feelings of 
the end result and the faith along with it of the unknown is what generates the end result, not just putting a bunch of pictures on a board because you know the, and you've heard it before, like, oh yeah, I just put a picture of a Jaguar up on the board and I, well, no, cause you probably wouldn't feel good driving off the lot with $11 in the bank and putting that on credit. Right, right. So, so, so can you talk about how this is a feeling universe? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I love that. So I recently did a vision board class and I and I I said, listen, the last thing you're going to do is cut and paste anything on your board. First, we're going to evoke all the feelings that come with you hitting that goal. Um, and so uh, feelings uh, are, are the stem of everything. So you have a you have a the, the feeling and the thought comes together and, and, and the emotion is the fuel. Emotion fuels your greatest decisions and emotion fueled your dumbest decisions. <laughs> so. So if you think about it, I was, I was so angry and I did. I was so happy I did. I, emotions are the, if you think about it as a seed growing, think of emotions and feelings as the fertilizer. And when I do uh, guided visualizations, I'm so mindful of unpacking the visual in your mind so that it can evoke and, and unlock the feeling because the feeling is the fertilizer. So you, if you analytically want to get somewhere, you know, all of the factual reasons why you should get there, there's no inspiration because there's no feeling attached to it. The, the power of guided visualization is to unlock the feeling and unlock the visual so that you have something that you recognize that you're running towards. So many people are running into the abyss. They don't quite know what is. I want success. Well, if you don't know what success looks like for you individually, then it's such an ambiguous target and you can't hit an ambiguous target. But if you say, I never forget when my son was eight years old, I said, when my son is 18, I want to be one of his closest friends. I want to be someone that he chooses to be around. I want to be a confidant. I want to be a safe space. I detailed it out. I want him to understand I'm his mom always, but I also want him to know that I'm a safe space as his mother. So fast where I set the intention, I drew out the bullets of what made um, me be a choice friend. I want to, and I, I called it his cho chosen five. I want to be his chosen five. And so I, I wrote down what his chosen five would look like, not just me as his mom, but his chosen five. Cause I also want to hold the space that he had four other, what I call rocket booster friends, but I wanted to be one. And my son was 19 years old and we're sitting on the couch and our feet are touching and we're watching Law and Order Marathon. He had just made us both gourmet salads. He was a student at the time at Le Cordon Bleu Culinary Institute, and he made us these most beautiful salads. We're watching Law and Order Marathon. We're like 11 video, 11 shows in, and our, we're sitting at the opposite ends of the couch, and our, our, our toes are kind of touching. And I said, son, how do you rate our, our relationship on a scale from one to 10, which I, I asked him often. He said, mm, it's a nine and a half. And I said, oh, okay, thanks. What would take it from a nine and a half to 10? He goes, mom, we're sitting on the couch. We're playing toesies. I just made you lunch and we're watching Law and Order Marathon. It's really a 10, but I feel weird saying it out loud. <laughs> yeah, and it's like there has to be something about this. Exactly, be, yeah. exactly. He's like, this is way too bizarre. My friends tease me that we're so close and it's just weird. So I'm not saying I'm a perfect mom, but I am saying that with the intention, it, it became my navigational tool. So you, it's really important to understand how being somewhere or something will make you feel, how having something will make you feel, and chasing the feeling. Don't chase the it all the time. Chase the feeling because the feeling will be unlocked to you and shown to you long before the full outcome is. If something feels good, lean into it. Light will peak. Light, light will peak in before it'll flood in. I love that so much. And dark, but the same thing for darkness, darkness will peak in. If a relationship doesn't feel good, it didn't go to horrible immediately. It just went to, Ooh, that doesn't feel too good. So darkness will peak in as well. Knowing you're seeing something that doesn't feel right. Knowing you see something that feels right and then lean into it because you're got, you're allowing your feeling to be real. Don't negate your feelings. Yeah. Cannot get rid of, you cannot discount gut vibrations. If it's not right, it's not right. I mean, 
Um, I actually had a photo. In either direction, though. In That's either right. direction. If it feels right, don't don't analyze it away. Absolutely. Um, uh, also, too, on that note, I had a photo on a vision board, a vision sketchbook at one point about uh, for the island of Molokai in Hawaii that I've always wanted to go to. I finally get the opportunity. I go to Maui, and I get this amazing opportunity from friends that own a boat, a brand new boat. They're all going to boat over there. They're going to camp. I mean, I mean, like sort of an incredible sort of you know non traditional experience, and yet. I was driving around Maui and it didn't feel right. There was something in my gut that said, but it's on my vision board. I'm being offered, like, it seems serendipitous. It's, I'm, I'm being, it's right in front of me. I still followed my gut and didn't go, despite the fact that I even knew some of my friends and family on the island would be like, why wouldn't you go on that trip? That's so dumb. You're in Maui for a month. Why wouldn't you, right? You know what I mean? Judgment or any of that stuff. I just went with my gut. I don't know what it is. Doesn't feel right. Turns out, the trip was a disaster. They never got to Molokai. Someone almost died. Someone almost drowned at sea. Literally, it was like when I they came back, they said, you are so lucky you didn't go. So here's the thing. Even if you have something on your vision board <laughs> and you actually are confronted with it, I mean, that was, a, that was a weird one, but I saw it afterwards. I'm like, that was a good test of going with the feeling. Right. Well, what you went with was your internal GPS. I, I, I call our internal GPS, our, our, our GPS, our God placement system. And whatever your faith is, there's something speaking to you. And so often the, our, our chatter, our analytical, our doubtful chatter is so loud that we can't hear our intuition trying to send us messages. There's something in you. There's a vibrational connection in your body that will ground with what feels good and will ground with what doesn't feel good. And it's sending you signals and it's letting you know very seldomly are we completely blindsided by something that's not good for us. We normally had some kind of indicator that we chose to ignore. That's right. At least I know I have. I know at least I have. And so when we begin to trust ourselves more and what happens, L, is that we've made we've made mistakes in the past. And when we make mistakes, we hold our future decisions hostage to our past mistakes. Mm, can you clarify that a little bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've all made errors, but our errors, errors don't mean we're bad and our judgment is off. Errors are just ways to teach us. Errors are ways to for us to learn. Don't stick your hand in the heat because the heat's going to be hot. Once you stick your hand in the heat one time and you get burned, you really know that's going to hurt. So I don't do that. Well, so every error we make is not a bad error. Like we will go through things and learn. You pull the lesson out of it. But what happens is we go through something, we might pull the lesson out, but we also pull blame out and we also put fear out, fear of trusting ourselves again. Prime examples in relationships. Mm-hmm. I, I, co- I coach so many people and they want a relationship, but they're scared to get hurt. And they're only afraid to get hurt because they got hurt in the past. And that's what I mean. Your future life, your future experiences are, 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 are hostage paying the price of your past experiences. When in fact, if you say, hold on, What happened in previous relationships? Who was I? What was I? What didn't work? How can I be a better woman? How can I show up and be a more powerful partner? What did I know? What's my discernment now? And you pull the lessons out and then you go excitedly into your next relationship with that information. We normally don't do that. We normally look at, well, when the the last time I did this, it really went bad. But here's the deal. You know more than you knew the last time. You, You were five years younger you were it was in your 20s or you were a year younger what did you get out of it what lesson and so i i call it failing i'm gonna fail i'm gonna fail at relationships i'm gonna fail in business but as long as i give myself permission to fail forward i'll keep leaping and so when you give yourself permission to fail forward meaning you pull out three and two three things i did really well and two areas that i can improve upon now bring all five of those points into your next opportunity whether it be business whether it be your next your next eating um, adjustment and weight release, whether it be your next relationship, whatever it is, give yourself permission. So it's not holding your future hostage to your past decisions and experiences. I love that you brought up relationships because before we wrap up the podcast and get into how we can connect with you and all of the work you do in speaking about relationships, you know, you, you mentioned your grandmother's quote about like, hey, what people think of you is none of your damn business, you know? Right. And and my mom used to always say, take your mouth with you, meaning speak up, right? <laughs> don't you let people speak down to you. And she used to say, don't even let an adult patronize you as a kid. She was like, don't. And so 
you talk about tell people how to love you. Mm -hmm. Tell people what you need and want, right? I mean, look, anyone can take the five languages test or, you know, (laughs) do these things online, but we all know what we like, right? We all know what at certain point in your life, you get to a certain level of maturity through relationships and you, you kind of know what you want. Can you talk about being okay and uh, having no shame about telling people how to love you? Yeah. Yeah. And and it's, it's telling and then going a step further and teaching because here's what I know. And a good friend of mine said this, she said, he said, Lisa, love is an open book test. Quit making people guess. (laughs) Love is an open book test. We walk around expecting people to fill in the blank with our answers and they haven't, they, the book is closed. We haven't told them and, and we, we put the expectation on them to know how to love us. Well, they, this is their first time being in a relationship with us this year, this time with us, this age, but all of this is a first. I don't care if you've been with them for 20 years. This is their first time being with you in this season. And so um, teaching people, Telling and teaching people how to love you is really first, first, number one, you have to understand what it feels like to be loved. You have to give yourself permission to be loved. Set your family, set your partner, set the people around you, set them up for success. And that is first giving yourself permission to truly be loved. You you wouldn't believe how many people really deflect love. They can't receive the compliments. They can't receive the gifts. I mean, because I I, mm-hmm. I I love giving to people and I watch them and I can tell when they can't receive it. That's when I make them sit still and just let me pour into them. And they just start bawling and crying because it's such a foreign feeling because they've been they're, they're master deflectors. So, number one, give yourself permission to be loved by other people. Now, what you might have to do, step zero. Notice I said that's step one. Step zero might be you give yourself permission to fall back in love with yourself. That's right. So, so zero and one. And then, and then two is um, people are following your example of what it looks like to love you. So if people aren't loving you the way you deserve to be loved, go back and look at what you're doing for you. Do you give yourself days off? Do you, um, do you draw healthy boundaries? Do you eat healthy food? Do you take time to be with you, the universe, God? Do you go to bed at a decent hour? Or do you allow everyone else to take your time? Do you always say you're underrested? Do you say yes to things when you should say no? Do you allow yourself to live in overwhelm? Like it's, it's, it's whatever picture you're painting for yourself, everyone's going to contribute to that piece of art. I love that so much. And Gosh, I I would like to talk to you for five more hours because it's so riveting and we learn so much. Um, But let's transfer into how we can work and learn and be motivated by you. I mean, you know, motivate the masses. That's your mission. Um, Best-selling author, and we have all of those in the show notes. Abundance Now. I loved your last book, Amplify Your Life and Achieve Prosperity Today. Tell us about motivating the masses and your mission here. Mm -hmm. Wow. So motivating the masses um, is my baby that I I named in 1996 without a clue how I would ever motivate the masses. But I had I had a vision and every year I had to pay eight hundred dollars in corporate taxes. But I wasn't even making a thousand dollars in business. And my accountant would say, we need to close this company down called motivating the masses. You're not doing anything. in it. (laughs) Listen, listen, she'd say you're not doing anything in it. And we need that eight hundred dollars to pay your rent. And I'd say, no, no, one day I want to inspire people to stand in their greatness, to own their light, to to walk into the abyss, to to love. And, and, and 10 years went by. I never put a dime in the account every year. Eight hundred dollars I pay. And every year my account would say, can we please shut this company down? I said, no, because I, it's my calling that I'm going to touch people across cultural lines gender lines, economic lines, geographical lines, and religious lines. And we're going to come together and we're going to celebrate and find, discover, find, and and access the best part of ourselves. Ten years later, I put my first dime in motivating the masses when The Secret came out. So what way to like launch out into this company? So (laughs) motivating the masses is a training and development company and is designed to help individuals really access and uh, ignite the greatest parts of themselves in personal development uh, and personal developments help you to it, it, the, the company is designed to train you, coach you 
to keep going where you normally would stop and to get the courage to take yourself to the next level. Anything we need, whether it's unlocking a belief system or holding on to a new personal. In business, we work with entrepreneurs, particularly focusing on speakers, authors, and coaches, helping them to discover their message, own their message, give themselves permission to share their message. If you're in sales or network marketing or leadership, we teach you how to speak and how to have an impact on one-to-one, one-to-small group, or one-to-many, and how to use your voice to transform and change lives. So our t- and we and we do it online. We do it live. We do it, you know, via books. Uh, so we have a, a, a pretty robust catalog and ways that you can access it, whatever your learning style is. And um, and it's just my 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 love tribe. <laughs> I love it, and I love. We will put the link in the notes. But you have a free abundance checklist. I do. You know, oftentimes one of the reasons why um, I was able to begin to shift my life is because I took notes. I kept measuring myself. Um, uh, alongside of abundant thinkers. Like I use, I, I, I adopted, I adopted some men and some people that didn't even know I adopted them. And I would just study how they thought I'd study their language. I, I, as a C student in school, I knew how to rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And, <laughs> um, and so I was a photocopy machine. I just, I literally would emulate people where I put all that in the checklist so you can really just kind of see, okay, if I measure myself today, because measuring yourself, rating yourself is very healthy. You at least know where you are, good, bad, or indifferent. It doesn't matter. Uh, and there's no bad. There's just an indicator where you are. And so there's a checklist, and you can kind of see where am I on the scale of abundance. The first thing I do, L, is I redefine abundance, because abundance isn't just about wealth. Let me be very clear. In the book Abundance Now and in this checklist, it, th- abundance is a 360 experience that allows you to have abundance in your wealth, in your relationships, your spirituality, your self-esteem and your wealth. So it's very holistic and it just allows you to kind of have an indicators of where you are and some areas that you get to play in and, and, and become even more intentional about. Motivatingthemasses.com is the site. We will put all of the links in the show notes. I'd love to hear if you, would you like to leave anything with our audience today? Um, I just want to say that the greatest part of you is still being born. And um, don't don't hold your future so connected to your past. Your past is a stepping stone to your future that my life is an indicator of reset, recreation, restart, rejuvenation. I, I don't think any of my high school or my college professors ever saw the woman that I am today. Heck, I didn't see the woman that I am today. And so I, I want to invite you to begin to identify in your mind and in your heart and in your soul what does the best version of you look like? What does she eat? How does she walk? What does she wear? What colors her hair? What does he want to do? How does he touch people? Well, how are they serving the world? Whatever it is, begin to craft that amazing being and then let a hunger emerge in your belly so strong that you wake up every day to meet her, to greet him. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us and inspiring so many people, including myself who uh, just have been studying you since 2007. And I mentioned briefly before we started this conversation, and I'd like to leave the audience with it, is that I literally bawled my eyes out for about an hour before recording this out of pure joy and gratitude because someone who had once inspired me, then I was able to inspire myself to a level of a certain success to be able to even interview you. So it's just lovely to have had this conversation. Thank you so much. Elle, you are my sister in this journey, and our paths were orchestrated to meet 10 years ago when you crossed my path through the secret that who you are in the world is so magnificent and so necessary as much as I. So we were supposed to touch and agree so that you can inspire me and I can inspire you. And so I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the tears. I'm grateful for the joy. I'm grateful for the humility. But most of all, I'm grateful that I'm on the planet at the exact same time as you so we can meet. I love it. Thank you so much and have a wonderful, wonderful day. You're welcome. Bye-bye. You as well. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. 
It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. So, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of, we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.